Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Beautiful Friday morning, though the weather doesn't bode well for the forecast at least doesn't bode at all well for later on today. Looks like it will be raining or close to it by one o'clock, and that tonight will be really cold and wet and mucky and rotten. What is good though is that by this time next week we'll be into some lovely weather for the Easter weekend. So make the most of what's out there right now. It's cold, but it's gorgeous. Um, put up with a bit of nastiness over the weekend and then look forward to decent weather for the Easter break. Good morning, 1850-715-996. The number to call, the text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. The email is opinion at 96fm.ie. I have a number of promises to fulfil to you today and the most important one is during the week we were talking about Sir Henry's and I absolutely promised that I would play more of this than just the 10 seconds I did so for the sake of pure nostalgia I promise I will play out on a good snatch of the ball and chain for those of you who remember just how big and how important it was we were looking back on Henry's during the week also going to talk about that appalling now a wonderful bit of journalism by RT Investigates, but that appalling, horrifying story that dossiers were being kept on children and their parents who were suing the state to try to get proper services and education for their children. And moreover, the idea that doctors were being asked to hand over information on their young patients and being told, don't be telling the parents now. And even when they asked, well, do we have the parents' consent for this? Do mind the parents? Don't be telling the parents now. Appalling. Dreadful. What an incredible breach of trust. And what any doctor who did that was thinking. We'll get to that uh, as well this morning because there's a very prominent Cork solicitor involved with one or two of these families. I'll speak to Ernest Cantlin during the morning. And I'd like your thoughts too. I really want to know what you think about that egregious breach of trust. That's just my view, but I think a lot of people would agree with me on it. But I want to start off this morning with a fascinating man that I think Fergal Barry's been talking about this guy for the bones of three months. And we all started watching his videos and we've just established that he's got A, a great following in Ireland and B, he is a really interesting man to watch and to listen to with regard to 
COVID-19. He does a daily video on YouTube where he chooses a subject and gives a daily talk explaining the ins and outs of what we're going through. Like, stuff like this. Now, people are talking now about vaccine passports being considered in the UK. Now, at the moment, uh, there's a group of ministers that are umming and ahhing about it. More to come on that. But with the European Union, it's much more definite. Now, this is the European Union site, and they are now um, officially going ahead with COVID-19 digital green passports. And that will be essential for travel within the bloc, almost certainly. That was yesterday's update, uh, or just from the last couple of days. And it could be a new vaccine development. It could be a new drug development. It could be new figures that we're confused about. He's been breaking them down into real simple terms for months. His name is Dr. John Campbell. And I decided it was time to have him on the opinion line for a conversation about some of those developments and about where the interest comes from. Very good to catch up with you on the opinion line. Your video is very popular with our listeners. A few things that that I wanted to talk to you about, but first of all, what's your background? What gives you the ability to break the stuff down so easy? Well, thank you for having me on, PJ. It's it's really good. My name's John Campbell. I'm living in England. I was born in Scotland, but I have proud Irish ancestry on several sides of my family. So it's uh, it's, it's really really good to talk on Ireland Radio. Um, But basically, I was a nurse. I was a psychiatric nurse and a general nurse. And then I went into nurse education and I was something called a nurse tutor in the old days. And then um, one of our prime ministers thought it was a good idea to move nurse education into higher education. So we all shifted into universities. So uh, at that point, I had sort of a level of academia thrust upon me. So I started doing some writing and doing some some research. But for all that time, for the 27 years, I still taught student nurses. So I, I I think I am practiced at taking scientific concepts, physiological concepts and explaining them so that first, second, third year student nurses can understand. Which is what you've been doing with a series of videos throughout the pandemic of varying lengths and various complexities, which is great to watch. Let's deal with the one, the most recent story this week, John, which is that Pfizer have a drug in testing using body chemistry against coronavirus and maybe to use that awful cliched word, a game changer. Yeah, well, this, 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 this is a drug called a protease inhibitor. So the idea with this is it will, in order for the virus to replicate properly, it has to break down proteins. And this will stop the virus breaking down proteins. Therefore, the virus won't be able to replicate. Therefore, it will interrupt the life cycle of the virus and you won't get viral replication. And if this works, it will be tremendously important. This will be an antiviral. Mm. Now, everyone, of course, has heard of antibiotics. We've got we've had lots of those that they came in in the Second World War. They became uh, readily available to the public in the in the 19 early 1950s. But what we haven't been good at is making antivirals. Now, there are a few. There's one called acyclovir that's good for the cold sores you get mm. in your mouth. Zovirax. Y- yes, y- yeah, that, 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 that's exactly what acyclovir is, yes. Uh, and, and there's a few that we use for HIV. And there's a couple that we use for hepatitis, uh, hepatitis C as well. But other than that, we're absolutely useless at treating viruses. 
So if this, if this works as an antiviral, then yes, that would be a game changer. Hmm. Because if we had an, an effective antiviral against SARS coronavirus 2, what we would do, as long as this was cheap, readily available and safe, is that as soon as someone started developing symptoms, we would just treat it. Yeah. And it would go away. You'd get a prescription from the doctor. Yeah, absolutely. Just like getting a urinary retract infection or a bit of a lung infection, you take an antibiotic and it goes away. If we had that antiviral, and that's what's been worked on. How would that combat the infectiousness? Because we know from the start, it's not just you get sick to whatever level you get sick, but it's you can make all those around you sick. How would we combat that? Yes, good question, PJ. So, so the, the the reason that people around us get sick is because we shed the virus. But of course, if we were giving this uh, viral inhibitor, if this viral inhibitor worked, then that would stop the body cells making the virus in the first place. Therefore, we wouldn't be able to spread the virus onto other people. So it would, it would kill two birds with one antiviral, which would be absolutely brilliant. And would this work with variants of the virus? With the variants that we have so far, it probably would, because most of the variants at the moment are affecting the spike protein, this spike protein, which is actually the infectious part that latches into this receptor in our in the human cells to cause the infectivity. But the, uh, the, 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 the these these proteases are necessary for construction of all of the protein of the virus. So you need proteins to make the spikes and you need protein to make the body of the virus. And all of those proteins would end up being the wrong size if we had an effective protease inhibitor. So it would stop all of viral production potentially. Now, that's not to say the the virus couldn't work out some clever way around it eventually Hmm. it would depend exactly how this how this protease inhibitor worked and we don't know that yet because all we've got is a commercial code number for it we don't even know the chemical of it only the scientists in Pfizer know that at the moment so Pfizer now say they're testing when do you think if it were all successful that our doctor would be writing prescriptions the the earliest possible that this could be licensed is November Now, it's at, it's at phase one clinical trials at the moment. Basically, phase one clinical trials are carried out on, on healthy volunteers. And it's not to see if the drug in this case has an antiviral effect. It's to make sure the drug is safe, that it's tolerated, that it's not toxic, and importantly, to work out the dose. So so with this, this new drug that Pfizer are talking about, it's got very powerful demonstrated antiviral effects in the lab, literally in glass. Hmm. Does, does that mean it works in humans? We haven't got a clue. No one knows. That's why we're doing the phase one clinical trials. But obviously, because of the potent uh, antiviral properties in vitro, it's likely that it would have antiviral effects at tolerable doses in people. Okay. Exciting times, though, I guess, and we'll follow it with great interest. Let's talk a little bit about vaccines for a while, because we're looking at the UK and their vaccine rollout. We're green with envy because of the speed of it. We got a problem getting our vaccines rolled out here. Yes. Should we be looking at manufacturing our own? Oh, absolutely, PJ. One hundred percent. It just grieves me. Um, to to see, you know, a a country like Ireland with with all the the medical expertise and the intelligentsia in it, uh, and and yet it's just lacking this basic vaccine production. Now, making vaccines, okay, you need a pharmaceutical plant for it. You need people that can do this. But but really, the, the, the technology to do this is now not that sophisticated, and quite a lot of it is off the shelf. 
So I would absolutely love to see a completely domestic, indigenous um, vaccine production within Ireland itself. So you're not dependent on um, anyone outside that you can just produce your own. Well, I, I don't know how much you know about the south of Ireland and about Cork, which is where we are, but mm. we've got every major pharmaceutical yeah. in yeah. the world has a base yeah. somewhere in the south of Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. reckon we should be making use of that? Well, the, the facilities you have now not may not readily transpose mm. into vaccine-producing facilities, but com- companies like Pfizer, for them, it would be a relatively simple matter to transfer the technology for making vaccines into plants in, in, in Ireland, which is exactly what I would love to see happening. And then that can carry on producing vaccines for some time. You see... Everyone, I don't know, but you've had your... Um, I, I'm fortunate I've had my first dose. I'm going to need a second dose uh, at, at some point in the next couple of months. But with the constant changes in the virus, with these mutations and these variants, it's now looking probable. It's now looking probable that we will need a third dose, perhaps this autumn or next winter. So the Oxford University team, for example, that originally collaborated with, with uh, AstraZeneca... Um, they are working on um, a new vaccine now that will be effective against the South Africa variant and, and what we now call the UK variant and indeed the Brazilian variant. So it may be that we need this top up for the next couple of winters. Well, who knows? It could be two, three, four winters until this virus becomes so weak and endemic that it basically goes away or, or, or it does indeed physically go away, which is what I'm, I'm hoping for. Is there a possibility that it could just fizzle out if the vaccines are strong enough and we have stuff like a good antiviral? Could it just fizzle out? If we have both of those, I believe it could. Now, there's there's two views on this. One is that uh, it is going to be eradicated. The other is that it's going to become endemic. Mm. Explain that for listeners. What does that mean, John? Sure, sure. Well, well, like, like for example, we get influenza every year, and there's two sorts of influenza. There's influ- influenza A and influenza B. Now, the influenza A, that they that that's sort of the new mutations of the influenza that, that cause new infections because our immune system is not used to it. The influenza B is endemic all the time, so someone is spreading it to someone else who's spreading it to someone else, so it's always there. So, a disease which is endemic is always present so so for example malaria is endemic to parts of africa um hiv now sadly is is endemic in 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 ireland and in england uh, it's kind of here it's kind of difficult to get rid of so so will it become endemic um i i'm hoping not because and the reason i hope not is in 2002 2003 there was an outbreak of sars coronavirus one uh, very similar virus to SARS coronavirus 2, which is the current pandemic. And that was eradicated. That virus now no longer exists in the wild. Yeah. So it, it will take it will take a significant vaccination campaign. A therapeutic, of course, would massively help to reduce the transmission. Um, and, and we're certainly going to have this SARS coronavirus 2 with us for a few seasons. But the big hope is, in fact, that th- this will happen. This is pretty certain. That as more and more people get vaccinated, we know that the vaccine is very protective against hospitalization, severe disease and, of course, death. 
the vaccines are less protective against just catching the infection. They, they do protect us against catching the infection. I mean, but the, the, the latest data from the AstraZeneca vaccine from the United States, for example, shows that we've got a 76% less chance of catching the infection. But so far, it's looking like a 100% less chance of being hospitalised and dying. So what it may mean is that people get SARS coronavirus 2 and essentially COVID-19 for some time. But if they've been vaccinated, that would change that from a life-threatening illness to a bit of a minor inconvenience. Mm. And then, of course, if we had an antiviral to throw into the mix on oh, top of that. Th- 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 then we would, we would be clobbering the virus every time it raised its ugly head and there'd be no virus left to transmit. Absolutely. The more ways you can attack this virus, the better. We're just a bit limited at the moment. Talk to me a little bit about the scare that we recently had, which some people felt was blown out of proportion with regard to the AstraZeneca and blood clots. You did a fascinating video, John, on how you personally think from your own nursing experience that might have happened. The way with the injections are given. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> there's been kind of a drip, drip, drip of information on this. Originally, it looked like the AstraZeneca vaccine was causing blood clots. And of course, um, when we think of blood clots, we tend to think of the blood clots in the leg, what we call a deep venous thrombosis, and bits can fly off to the lungs, what we call a pulmonary embolism. But it now looks like the difference between the general population, the Pfizer vaccine and the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, there's no difference in those kind of blood clots. But then there was a few rare cases. And when I say a few rare cases, from memory, it was something like 80 million vaccines in Europe. And I think it was about, was it about 11 cases? It was a very small number of cases. And what this was, it's a special sort of blood clot, um, a special sort of thrombus. And it's in the veins that drain the brain called the cerebral sinus veins. So there was a very small number of blood clots in these cerebral sinus veins. And there was some suggestion that that was correlated with the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. Now, um, because the numbers are so small, it was impossible to be definitive. But the UK Medicines Agency and the European Medicines Agency were all happy to carry on with the vaccine. And then something came out from, from Denmark And and again, we don't know about this, but the Danish authorities have changed the guidelines. Now, what this is, is when you give an intramuscular injection, you give it into the deltoid muscle of the arm for for vaccines and you you stick your needle in. Hmm. Of course, you can't see where you're sticking it because you haven't got X-ray eyes. So the odds are it's in the muscle where you want to put it. But of course, to some extent, through muscles, we have blood vessels. So there's a remote chance that when you stick the needle in, the needle, the end of the needle where the vaccine squirts out is not in the muscle. It's actually in a blood vessel. So what I always do when I stick my needles in, I stick the needle in and I think, oh, is it in the muscle or is it a blood vessel? And what you do is you pull back on the syringe. Hmm. Now, if blood comes back into the syringe, you see that that would mean you're in a vessel. So you would take it out, get another dose and you'd try again. Now, this is very, very rare in the deltoid muscle. But in Denmark, they are suggesting that giving the vaccine, whichever vaccine it is, in Denmark, they're saying give the Pfizer and the AstraZeneca vaccine this way. They're saying you have to make sure you don't give it into a blood vessel. So they stick the needle in and all the guidelines in Denmark are saying thou shalt aspirate before you squirt it in. Now, that's different from the guidelines in the UK. I don't know what the guidelines are in Ireland. I suspect they are probably fairly similar. So so um, now there's no evidence for this. This is just the, a few mm. Danish. 
Yeah, but just as a, as a nurse yourself, John, going back along, you would always have done that. I, I, Absolutely. It's it's absolutely ingrained into you from when you're 18 years old, when you give your first injection. Because yes. you don't want to be injecting blind. Uh, you, you don't want to be injecting into a, into a, a blood vessel. You want to be injecting into the muscle. Hmm. Is there a possibility that they will look further at that? Is, is it just a theory or is... Well, um, I'm trying to publicise this at the moment. I'm trying to contact some politicians. And uh, to tell you the truth, I haven't got very far at the moment. Yeah. So, so, what? Why not do it and then see? So, so first of all, we're not sure that this cerebral venous, that this cerebral sinus vein thrombosis is related to the vaccines. But if it was, this is just one variable we could, we could easily get rid of. Okay. Talk to me finally about. Many people have contacted our program and say, "Why aren't you talking about ivermectin?" And and the science on ivermectin was difficult to understand. Now, you did a fascinating video where you looked at the data. And I think, John, and I don't want to misinterpret you, I think you believe that ivermectin should perhaps be there in the armory. It's interesting, you know, ivermectin came out oh, a long time back, about a good 30 years back now, and the people that actually developed actually won a Nobel Prize for it. It was such a major step forward in treating parasites. Mm that were endemic all over Africa. And it's on the World Health Organization list of essential medicines. People have to have ivermectin. To, otherwise, they would die from parasitic diseases all, all over. And it's used a lot in Ireland. It, it's an important uh, veterinary med medication. But recently, there's been lo a lot of evidence that it's also useful for treating viral infections. Now, I interviewed, I interviewed uh, a doctor called Dr. Uh, Tess Laurie, who's done a lot of work on this. And uh, basically what she did was a meta-analysis. So th there's various trials been done all over the world. And what she's got, she's got some clever software. She puts all that together. And, and what that showed was um, it did demonstrate that there is a, a therapeutic effect from ivermectin. Now, of course, we have to stress that um, you must never take any medicine that your own doctor has not prescribed. We, we don't want people going around taking their dog's worm tablets here. No, no we, cer we certainly don't. But from, from the evidence I've looked at, it does appear that ivermectin has an antiviral effect. Now, this really needs to be taken up by governments. Now, part of the problem here is ivermectin is an established drug. So after so many years, the drug companies uh, lose. It's like a copyright. Mm. So basically anyone can make it. It's as cheap as paracetamol, isn't it? Oh, it, it, it's it, it's yes. It's, it's basically free to make. Um, I mean, li li literally, li literally a few pennies to make. It, it is. It, it's, it's incredibly cheap. But, of course, that means that the drug companies can't make too much money out of it. And because it's often drug companies that authorise these or organise uh, some of the clinical trials, there's no real motivation to do that. So what I feel is that governments need to take this on. Governments need to say, look, we've got a drug here that could be, stress could be, uh, a cheap safe, effective antiviral drug. And this could work against different viruses. We were talking about that magic bullet we need to treat viruses. And is it safe to the point where, you know, we say about some drugs, your doctor will give it to you and they'll say, look, it might work. It certainly won't do you any harm, but it might work. 
Is ivermectin in that in that category? Do you think, G- given that it's been used so extensively, and uh, I, th- I can't remember the figures now, but you know, a couple of billion doses have been given out. It's well recognised what what the safe doses are. Now, with any drug, you can never guarantee it's safe. Yeah. Any drug that's actually going to work, you've got the potential for side effects. But that's why we have doctors. They they monitor the risk and they monitor the benefit. But I really feel until a government takes on the responsibility for doing a proper controlled clinical trial on this it could be that that humankind is missing out on what is potentially uh, a very comprehensive wide wide scale uh, antiviral and that is just tragic because people are always dying of viral infections it's been fascinating to speak with you for the program and i will we will direct people to your videos uh, through our social media because they are fascinating john an absolute pleasure thank you so much Thanks, PJ. good to talk to you John Campbell, Dr. John Campbell, based in England of Irish descent and all the great ones of Irish descent. A pleasure to talk to him. We will share his channel. Good, Wouldn't you just love to have been a nurse, studying to be a nurse with that quality of a teacher at the top of the class? Incredible guy. And we will come back to him. The drama is sensational. That's 80. Oh! And it's all right here. Grealish for seven! Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie for the Premier League Live online, powered by TalkSport. Go, go. We're back broadcasting live on April 3rd. League winners, top four and relegation. Don't miss our coverage of the action as the season heads towards a climatic finish. Go, go. The Premier League Live Online. With now, stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership. Listen every Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or see 96FM.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, big response to Dr. John Campbell, and we will do a podcast extra on that. Believe it or not, his first interview on Irish radio. I, I somehow think they'll pick up on us. It won't be his last. 1850-715-996. Remember the name. Remember the name. Shane Carr. I suppose you could call him the Morris McCabe of 2021, because he's the man who has put his career his job and whatever else, on the line to reveal the stuff that he found doing his job in the Department of Health. And he was the man who gave an exclusive interview to RTE Investigates about the stuff that he found. And it is shocking. The Department of Health has been secretly using information from private doctor consultations to build and maintain dossiers on children with autism who were involved in legal actions against the state. So if you were a parent of a child with autism and you were taking legal action to secure a service or to secure a school place or to secure anything like that for your child, the Department of Health was keeping a dossier that you knew nothing about effectively to be used to fight against you. And in the course of that, they got information from doctors without your consent in many cases, without the consent of the parent and, of course, of the child. And what's more, 
it re- was revealed last night that the doctors were told, I don't, don't tell the parents. Or we don't need their consent. It was very, 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 very shocking stuff. Uh, the name of Ernest Cantleton, Canton Cork solicitor, came up in the course of the discussion, and he joins me now. Ernest, good morning. Good morning, PJ. I, be- I believe you're working with some of the families here, and obviously that's very confidential. But that sounds shocking. Like, is if some your doctor is contacted by the Department of Health and asked for stuff pertaining to you, don't you have an absolute right to be asked for your consent? You do. Is a short answer. I mean, I. I don't know precisely what the whistleblower saw. Uh, I, I took the program to, to infer or led me to believe that what happened was, as you've indicated there, that there was a department or the HSE were contacting consultants, asking the consultant what happened at a consultation between the child with autism and their parent, and told the um, parent not to, or told the, 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 the consultant not to tell the parent uh, and the consultant subsequently came back and revealed what was in that consultation. In my view that's a breach by the consultant of his or her obligations of confidentiality and it's unlawful and in my view it's unlawful for the HSE if it was the HSE who procured that information and, and I think they would both be liable in damages to uh, the patient whose confidence was breached if that occurred. Now, I don't know whether it occurred yeah, or not, and I think that one has to be careful. Indeed. That on, the, on the basis of what, of the interview we, we saw last night, that seems to be what was going on. Like, how I was thinking in terms of being a parent, Ernest, is that, you know, if I am as a parent taking legal action to secure a service or a school place for, for my youngster, my doctor is supposed to be part of my team that, that, and shouldn't be giving information to the other team. That, that's so, and, and I mean, my experience is that, uh, and my understanding always has been that when I'm acting on behalf of a parent and I, I'm suing the department or the HSE, the HSE, on the face of it, to me, act properly and they write back to me and say, okay, we know you're suing us, will you give us permission to access the child's records, will you give us permission to talk to your consultant? And if it's appropriate, I'll give it. But the, it seems as if, if what the whistleblower says is correct, that that was a charade because they already were doing it behind my back, if, if what he says is correct. But, uh, I mean, you must realise that the department or the HSE who are must defend actions that are properly defendable need to access their own records and if they have records that what they would normally do is ask for permission to access them and uh, but i there may be a gray area if they have possession of the records and look at them and then decide to defend the action on the basis of what they see but there can't be any gray area about where there's a doctor patient or client relationship that they can't go poking their nose in there and saying without uh, the consent of the parent or the patient, or the, if, if the patient is capable of giving consent, they can't do it without consent and they shouldn't be doing it. Certainly on the basis of what we saw and heard last night, and I've watched it back twice now, there seems to have been something going on where doctors were being con- contacted and when they raised the, the question of seeking the consent sure. of the parents they were told, and again we're going on what we heard, oh that's not necessary and don't tell them about this call that's dark stuff. It, it, it is very dark stuff and very improper. And I mean, I'm 
surprised that the department or the HSE would do it, but I'm surprised that the, the doctors themselves don't know that this is against all of their principles of confidentiality. And I suppose the only explanation they can give is, well, the HSE are also my employer, but that's not an excuse that's acceptable. The HSE may well be their employer, but their duty, firstly, is to the patient. Yeah, because I was thinking that myself. You know, a lot of children on the spectrum, or indeed many, many children with any kind of an illness, have a medical card, and therefore their doctor is paid for out of the public purse. If that was being used to leverage access to their files, that would be an appalling state of affairs. It is improper, totally improper, and uh, I am very surprised if it's happening, but the whistleblower who apparently has seen these files, and uh, there appears to be, I mean, you couldn't see it on the screen last night, but there appears to be a uh, a record of the doctor actually coming back and saying, do I have to get consent or words for that effect? And he's led to believe that, in fact, on the contrary, don't tell them at all. Now, the Department of Health issued a statement, as you'd expect they would, and they said that it had commissioned a senior counsel to review the practice and said that nothing had caused it to change its approach and said that under data protection legislation, it was entitled to share and store information uh, and it didn't refer to the, 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 lack of, the lack of consent. Now, without breaching anybody's confidentiality, and I'm, and I'm sure you wouldn't, um, in, in terms of acting for a family, if you were acting for a family and found that this has happened, what would be your next course of action, Ernest? Well, if, if, if it was in the course of litigation, I mean, it, it, it would border on contempt of court. It certainly is an abusive process. And, uh, I mean, I think that one would bring it to the attention of the court and have little doubt that the uh, offending party, be it HSE or the department, would be severely reprimanded and perhaps held in contempt of court. It is an abusive process to do something like that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it, it shouldn't happen. And in terms of what the senior counsel said, of course, the senior counsel is correct to say that it's legitimate to hold data, but that's not de- addressing the issue, as you point out yourself, uh, of uh, breaching uh, patient-client confidentiality or patient-doctor confidentiality. And um, that that's not addressed, I would assume, by the senior counsel, because I don't believe any responsible senior counsel would say that it's legitimate to breach uh, doctor-patient confidentiality. Now, we, we believe about 50 families may be affected by this, and those are the ones we, we would know about. Um, could you see anybody actually taking action on this? Well, I mean, I acted for a number of people, and uh, I mean, when this program was trailed yesterday, uh, there was uh, flyers put out by the uh, by RT, which you could pick up online. I'm sure you saw them indicating that the program was coming up, and I was contacted by some former clients, wondering, is am I amongst those people whose documents have been accessed and that there's some sort of dossier built up on them? I've been contacted this morning again post the. the issue of the programme and I'm uh, just going to have to review it and see what, what can be done about it because, I mean, the starting point, I suppose, is to find out factually, is it so in respect of that particular client? And then if it is, then I think the person would have a cause of action against whoever breached their, their rights of confidentiality. Okay, I'm sure it's one that won't stop today. Ernest, thank you very much for your time uh, this morning. That's Cork solicitor Ernest Cantillon, uh, one of the leading medical solicitors or medical uh, solicitors on medical issues in in the country um, always remember as well if you're wondering who he is and where he comes from you remember the name Louise O'Keefe do you remember how far she went
to get justice. Uh, there were times when Louise O'Keefe was close to packing it in and Ernest Cantlin said, no, stick with it. Stick with it because he was her man. He was her solicitor. I was there the day the judgment came through, there in his office. So, yeah, knows this stuff. This is serious. This is dark stuff. So you think your doctor's on your side. Your doctor's on your side are supposed to be. And you are taking a case against the department looking for a service, looking for a school place, looking for whatever for your child. Your doctor and what you... That's part of your team. This is a bit like Munster's out half sharing a game plan with Leinster before the match. If you want to bring it into a very simple parlance. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon is back. Our favourite fundraiser returns this May to raise money for Cork Cancer Services. We hope you'll include our Radiothon in your 2021 events calendar. There are many ways to play your part. Organise a virtual coffee break, a no-uniform day, or gather all those loose coins with our change collector boxes. Stay listening for more details on how to raise funds. The 2021 Giving for Living Radiothon, May 20th to 22nd. Only on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 396 On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, remember that name, Shane Carr. He was the civil servant who came across this information in the course of his work in the Department of Health and just felt he couldn't live with the knowledge that it was there and moreover, how it had been obtained. Shane Carr is his name. Nicole, you were watching. Good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good, good, good. Uh, this is Nicole from My Boy Blue, uh, of course, mom of Riley. Um, shocking isn't the word, Nicole, is it? No, I don't think I can find a word for it, to be quite honest. It's, like, it's frightening. Do you know what I mean? I just, I was, like, obviously it came out yesterday in the press and it was sent over to me and we were reading through it here and I was like, oh my God, but watching him speak about it last night, I just, I don't know, like... Families, you know yourself, PJ, have to go in and give such personal information through an assessment process alone yeah. to get a diagnosis. Um, and obviously these families were fighting in court for their kids' rights. Like, no no child should be discriminated against this way. No family should be put through this, like, do you know? Mm. Um, I think, like, we all knew what way the system was. If you have a child on the spectrum, you know what way the system is. But I don't think we ever thought it was this bad. Do you know? As I was explaining there, and you'll agree with me here, you know, when you're looking to get a service for your child, and stress, you, you're not involved yeah. in this at all, but say you're trying to get a service or a school place for Riley, yeah. you, your doctor is a vital part. His doctor is a vital Huge. part of that team. Huge, yeah, because I think like they know him on a personal level, like, because the, like his his ASD team and stuff wouldn't see him as often, if at all. Do you know what I mean? So your GP is a major part of it because they see the child, they see the struggle. Like, 
they've seen me cry. Do you know what I mean? They've seen me break down. It's it's people like that you think you can trust, and that's that's a huge part of the whole process. And to see that like that things were just handed over, like it's completely against GDPR anyway to begin with. Mm. Um, it's frightening. I think that like like the the, the department would be ringing the doctor and mm-hmm. saying, right, I want the information. Uh, yeah. I want what files you have on, on such over. and such a young fella. And the doctor would say, well, have you sought the consent of his parents? Yeah. yeah. To which the doctor is told, according to this documentary, oh, that's okay, we don't need consent and don't tell them anyway. Crazy. Now, like, I would ask- be saying then, Nicole, I'd be asking the doctor, what the hell are you thinking? Oh, yeah, big time. And like that's it's this isn't just people in the department, like do you know what I mean? This is this is a knock on effect that's rolling down, like with people that are involved and I just hope that this isn't going to be one of these things that it came out, there's a big thing about it and it's brushed under the carpet. Like this needs to be solved, do you know? Yeah. Um, it's, like, it, what it will do, I think, and I, I'd hate for it to do it because, and I say, I'll say very clearly beforehand, I, I think most people dealing with their doctor have fantastic trust with their doctor, amazing, a well-deserved yeah. trust, and it's very few doctors would ever even consider doing anything like this. But yeah. then again, what this has done is it has bruised the trust that we would all have with our doctor. Yeah, but I think not just the GP, so I think in general... Consultants it's very, and stuff. Yeah, it's very hard to... And you know, like, it's very hard to go in and voice your concerns first day. Do you know what I mean? It's very hard to go in and say to somebody that your child is struggling or your child is, or you're struggling. And that's very hard to do. But knowing that something like this has gone on, that will make it even harder for people to do it. And then that has a knock-on effect on a family's life as well when you're living with something like AFD. Do you know? Um, it's just something has to be done about it to show people that this isn't the way that things can be done going forward. Not saying it's being done now to people, but mm. that it's like this isn't accepted and this won't, it won't happen again because families can't live that way, do you know? No. Like, I know I couldn't. I couldn't live not knowing that I went and got him the help that he needed and at the end of the day, you don't go to court and you don't take these cases on unless you're at breaking point for your child. So that's, People targeting families at their most vulnerable state. Yeah, all right. You know, and all right. How's he doing, by the way, my old pal? He's good. Yeah, he's good. He's in great family. How's he handling the? Is he gone back to school? No, he's um, he'll be back to school in September. All right. Okay. All yeah. right. All right. Listen, uh, give him a, give him a big high five for me. He's a granite lad. That's Riley. Uh, mum, uh, his mum is Nicole Duggan. Uh, my boy Blue. If I sound like I'm a bit lost for words on this, I am. Uh, digging down into the nitty gritty of of what happened Uh, a great piece of investigative journalism says this message but um, as per usual great work by the RTE team but it wouldn't have come to light only for the whistleblower he's the real hero in this it'll be interesting to see what happens him over these disclosures just like Morris McCabe he'll probably suffer for his courage well what was incredibly brave of him I thought was appearing on camera Full face, giving his own name, not an actor, not face dis- dis- disguised, nothing. The real Shane Carr, there on screen for us all to see. Um, this is an opportunity to drill down to expose the person who decided to pursue this policy. It's time to out these people 
and showed them there are real consequences in their abuse of human rights of helpless children. If the government went after those involved in the Moriarty Tribunal and the mother and baby homes with the same zeal as they go after the poor misfortunate parents of these helpless children, we'd be in a different country, says Paddy. Another caller, this exists throughout the centre, even the voluntary services. They get so much money from the HSC that they're then loyal to it. We've a little boy. The struggle to get help from him is immense. It feels like a big effort is put into deciding if you're a troublemaker or not. It's put on to teachers to be speech therapists and other specialties just because they can't bear to see the suffering. Yeah. 1850-715-996. There is much, much, much more to this. It is very, very dark indeed. But remember that name, Shane Corp. Uh, quick mention, hi to Keith Buckley, who's doing the 4 by 48 walk today for the Rainbow Club. He'll be doing it through the night. Uh, and uh, from all of us, we're so proud of you. Yeah, we, we featured that a couple of weeks ago, the 4 by 48 You do, is it four kilometres every four hours for 48 hours? Or is it four miles? A lot of walking, anyway. A lot of walking. So good luck uh, to Keith Buckley. He'll have very, very sore legs and feet by the end of it, but hopefully he'll have raised a fine ball of money, as they say, for... Uh, the Rainbow Club. Column says on the sharing of the information, Column says, how can this surprise anyone to look at what happened to babies who were born to mothers here and sent off to America? Indeed. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96FM. We'll say tonight is a night you'd love to be going to uh, Turner's Cross. Wouldn't you love to be heading off for the meeting of Cork City and Cove Ramblers? When was the last time they actually met up in a league game? It's years and years ago. They were both in the Premier Division years ago and they both met up. But the, the old firm derby, if you want, Cork City against Cove Ramblers, the ultimate local derby, kicks off the new League of Ireland season tonight. And of course, we are... Uh, partners of Cove Ramblers and proud to be so, so we wish them the very best tonight. Then again a lot of us in the building are also Cork City fans, so we I think probably a good a good draw would be a fair result tonight for everybody but it's great to see it. Great to see it underway and great to see a local derby, a proper local derby in the league in Cork. We'll have a couple of them throughout the course of the season. So yes, the first time for ages, ages, ages and they're it's an exciting night for everybody, Ramblers fans, City fans, and here's just hoping that the season will be kind to both of them. And indeed, best coverage of all, of course, with our own man, Trevor Welsh, on the score every Sunday afternoon, 2 to 6 on Cork's 96 FM. 1857 the number to call, the text to WhatsApp, 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. If you missed anything in our first hour, don't forget the podcast will go up in mid-afternoon. We'll also pop up a podcast extra of Dr. John Campbell. Great res- response to his interview. We've shared the link to his YouTube channel. If you want to watch any of it, I'll get to some of the comments. We just snowed under with other stuff. And no, we are not ignoring the Beacon Hospital story. It's an enormous story. In fact, I just see it there now. The Beacon has confirmed it gave 20 leftover COVID-19 vaccines to a number of teachers at a school, a private school, 
earlier this week. They have apologised for the upset caused by that move, acknowledging that the decision was not in line with sequencing guidelines in place from the HSE. What that means is if you have spare vaccines at the end of the day, because of the nature of the thing, you have only a limited amount of time in which to use it. There's a sequence, there's a plan, there's a process. They didn't follow that process. The private school over the road got 20 doses for the teachers. And then you pick up the Irish Sun. And this is the best commentary of all on that Beacon Hospital story. Front page of the Irish Sun this morning has a photograph of Sarah Ryan from County Clare. She's 98 years of age and looking well on it, it has to be said. She's 98. She's a great, great grandmother. She is still waiting for her first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. So while they were giving out doses in Dublin to teachers in a private school, there was an old woman of 98 down in Clare who hadn't got her first jab yet. Lads, lads, lads. Can we cop on a small bit? 1850-715-996. There's Leo as well with regard to the numbers. And they all saying, oh, we couldn't possibly lift restrictions regionally because of the numbers not being low enough. Now, I'm not doing... I normally do numbers on a Friday, but with too much to do. Just suffice to say that Cork's numbers, again, are solid, rock solid, with 18 cases yesterday. Our five-day average is 16 out of a population of half a million people. And our 14-day average is 42 per 100,000. We're low, low, low for our population. We're really low. Kerry, just above us, they had a zero day yesterday. Monaghan had a zero day. Kilkenny had 10 cases yesterday. But Leo says that nothing can be eased because of the difficulty in managing the numbers. We will probably come back to that at some stage, but not going to overly focus on it today. 1850 Let us return to... And you know, it's all that kind of news about restrictions probably lasting for another number of weeks. In fact, there's no probably about it. They will. There's not a whole lot going to happen at Easter. We might as well be ready for that now. Not a whole pile going to happen. Not a whole pile going to happen into May. It's going to be June before we have any level of normality. And here's hoping that we get the vaccines. So worrying about when you're going to get your vaccine, worrying about when you're going to be get, able to get out and do something and visit that relative that, you know, you worried about ever seeing it. Yeah. That kind of worry is really not helping people's mental health. And at least the weather's improving. So that salves it a little bit. But people have really struggled with this particular lockdown. Since day one, this has been the hardest, the longest, the dullest, the most boring, the the most just mind-numbingly samey day-to-day drudgery this lockdown has been. Weekends just become other days that you don't go to work. And it's been hard. Um, Now, Sharon, Dr. Sharon Lambert was a psychologist and lecturer at uh, in Applied Psychology at UCC. She was a guest speaker this week as part of the Blarney GAA Wellbeing Programme. And she did an online session with them on mental health. And uh, that to say, she's, she's on the line now for a chat about that in general, that general subject of mental health and how we've all been. Sharon, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Delighted to do so. This has been the hardest 
of all lockdowns, particularly for parents. Good days, bad days, just long, endless days. Uh, that is for sure. So uh, you're right, Blarney GA Healthy Club, they launched uh, a poster the other night with a list of uh, support services for their members um, because they're conscious they have a huge membership. And I suppose I, I helped them launch that poster because, you know, you mentioned it there as parents, like I'm not just a psychologist, I'm also a parent. Um, you know, I, I'm a, a daughter, I'm all of those things. So, you know, uh, psychologists can find these things very difficult too. Um, so I suppose we talked about that, about, you know, the fact that this lockdown has been really difficult. I found it difficult myself. The novelty of banana bread wore off a long time ago, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose one of the things we talked about is, you know, kind of a lot of the things that are, are, are distressing are actually things that are totally outside of our control. And I know, look, we can't ignore the big breaking story today in relation to the beacon. I mean, I was I was quite angry myself when I when I read that. Um, but it's something that I absolutely have no control over. So, you know, we, we, we chatted about that, about, you know, how can we take a bit of control back over over how we're, we're feeling about things? There's a lot of stuff going on that feels very unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so I suppose some of the things we talked about were one of the things I know that, that actually drives me into a huge spin is, is uh, social media sometimes can make me feel very angry Uh you know, that's where I saw that story breaking last night. Um, and, you know, it was terrible to be going to bed last night, you know, feeling so so irritated and so annoyed because I think we all know people who who deserve uh, uh, vaccines and who are waiting for vaccines. Um, and then trying to kind of rule back then your feelings on that and saying, right, I have no control over that. And as a parent, I have to try and be okay and try and be not too angry um, because I have little people in my house who were looking to me to see how do you behave. Sometimes you the fr- most manage? frustrating part of it, Sharon, is that you have no control. So you're there tearing, what, tearing your hair out about yeah. something. It, and it's a natural human thing, isn't it? To, to, to just fret about stuff you've no control over. To try and decide, well, control what, you, what I can control. But I want, I so want to control that, you know? It's, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very hard. And I just, one of the things, I suppose, in relation to, to what's going on now is that COVID doesn't impact everybody equally. You know, I'm I'm very lucky. I, you know, I have a you know I have a safe home, um, I have children who are well, um, I I have I didn't lose my job, you know. So I, you know, even though I have days that I I'm really angry, there are people who are experiencing you know a lot of difficulty. Um, you know, I, I often think about people who are frontline workers and how exhausted they are. And I know that you've had Dr. Neve Lynch on the show a couple of times talking about the impact on, on frontline workers. Yes. So I suppose one of the things that I'm thinking about is that I know that this is going to end. I know it's going to end. I'm hoping that, you know, as the weather starts to improve, um, that it will lift our moods. Um, and this is going to end. And one of the things I've been trying to do is try and reflect back on the last year because there are things in the last year that have happened that were positive and there are things where we had a chance to look and say actually you know some of the Russians some of the racing that we did before was not good for us you know a lot of us have have, you know particularly parents we've spent you know uh, more time with our children sometimes we spent too much time with our children but somewhere in the middle you know there is that balance so one of the things I'd like to do for myself and and I know I've spoken to other people about this, is, is actually before we come out of this, taking a chance to look and reflect and say, 
can't have been for nothing. I have to have learned something from it. And what are the things that have have worked well? What are the changes that I, I was forced to make that were actually good for me? And how can I keep some of those as I move forward from this? Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, it's great, obviously, you know, it's great to hear that the numbers are so low in Cork. And, um, uh, you know, if they're zero in Kerry now, we need to be kind of looking to that. We, have, we can't yeah. let them be winning, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, Sharon, and I, I, I purposely decided... Um, for my listeners on a frequent basis to to remind us every day of how good we've been, Cork, because, you know, I think it's our job here in this programme to try and keep people's spirits up as best we can. It's very very hard, though. But if you look at the things that people are missing, Sharon, they're missing for themselves and missing for their children. It's not the big things. It's the little things. Yeah, I, actually, my children have done up a to-do list, a post-COVID to-do list of things that they want to do. And, like, I mean, there's nothing on the page. It's things like see their cousins. Um, we, we're, our, all of our family live in another county. We haven't seen them in, in a year. Um, so it's, it's little things like that, um, you know, that, that they're missing. But I suppose, for me, I think because this lockdown has been really hard, um, and we can get so frustrated by by the things that are very unfair that you know it's trying to say well you know this is going to end and and I, I actually was the children who came up with that idea themselves and I thought it was a great idea because it, you know I was actually cranking myself that day and when I looked and I thought maybe I could get, take a leaf out of their book and start looking rather than thinking about what's going on today because I can't do anything about that today and um, you know maybe making plans about you know when this is here are the things that we can do and I you know you did say something very important and I, I, I've been totally biased here but I do believe it too um, I think that people in Cork have been really good like if you if you look at what the Blarney GA for example and, and I'm, I'm picking them just because they're, they're nearby me but loads of other clubs have done things like this you know they ran a series of events they had a nutritionist you know they, they, they had uh, different speakers coming in people together um, to try and lift each other and hold each other. Um, there are things that are normal. Yeah. Like this is a, a pandemic. This is not a normal event. So it is okay to be really pissed off some days. It's okay to some days feel sad. It's okay to some days feel anxious. And, you know, they're all things that are okay and, and normal in the situation that we're in. There are people, though, where those feelings are, are quite overwhelming for them. And I suppose one thing I'd really like to say, PJ, is that for people who are feeling like that is to reach it, to do contact somebody, to speak to to speak to them. Because we do, like the one thing we do know is that, that talking about your problems does help. We know that. Um, and I, I think another important thing to say is that for people who've never spoken to a psychologist or a counsellor before, sometimes it can feel like a scary thing to do, you know, making that first phone call and then you can go and you might not click with the person and then you may think that it's your problem you know so if you imagine that you go to a restaurant and it's a lovely restaurant and you're you're with people and everybody enjoyed their meal but you didn't it wasn't to your taste it's not that there was anything wrong with the restaurant it wasn't to your taste so it's not you and it's not them so i would say to people if you do reach out and you you know because going to a psychologist or a counselor is is a is a really it's a therapeutic relationship. It's not like going to South Dock to get an antibiotic where you don't have to go back again. So if you go after two or three sessions and you say, Look, I, 
I don't really click with this person or they said something that I don't really like. You know, shop around. Um, I'm somebody who's, who's very comfortable saying that I've experienced depression myself in the past and I would have gone to two or three people before I found the right person for me. Yeah. And then once I did, you know, I, um, it made a huge difference to how I was able to manage my feelings. Yeah. And, you know, if, if, you know, touch wood, I've been fine during this pandemic, but if, if I thought at all, that I was struggling and I was feeling overwhelmed. I'd have no hesitation picking up that call, picking yeah. up the phone and, and making that call. I don't see it as the weakness. I see it as strength. Yeah. Um, and I think, it's, you know, if you're at home and you have a cough or you're a headache, you have a headache, you'll go to the doctor. Um, if you're at home and you're overwhelmed by feelings, you know, please go and see a, a psychologist or, or, or a counsellor yeah. because... It does help. Yeah. Um, talk talk know, to someone, absolutely. Just yeah. come, come back to the children and how you said a while ago, and I th- I'm so glad to hear you say it. Like, if you feel crap today, that's absolutely fine. But should you share that with the children or should you keep that to yourself? <laughs> Look, children, no. You know, like, uh, you know, even in my own house, you know, some days I'd be cranky and, and they'll say something and say, Mom, why are you so grumpy? Yeah. You know, well, what so, do you I say, say, Sharon? I say, do you know what? You're dead right. I am really grumpy today. And I'll tell you why. I really miss this and I really miss that. And today I'm having a bad day, but it's okay. And now, you know, guys, I'm going to try and think of some ideas to help me make, make me feel better. And actually, it's great in one way because because I think if the kids didn't call me out on it, I'd probably wallow in it for a little bit longer. Yeah. So the fact that they call it and then I think, God, you're right, and this is why, and that's okay, and what can I do to try and help myself? And is that better? the point at which you can say to them, if they're old enough, do you know what? I am feeling a bit often. Let's, let's, let's plan something that we can do that COVID can't stop, or let's plan something that we can do when it's all over. You, yeah, and is that a good our, our, interaction? Oh, one of the things, yeah, yeah, totally. But one of the things as well is, is there are people who feel like they can't have a bad day and they just feel hard on themselves and they do and they keep going and keep going and keep going. And like one of the things that I learned during lockdown is that it, it, I hadn't done it in years, but one day I sat down and I watched television all day. And I hadn't done it in years because, you know, when you're, you're busy and you kids and things like that. And I said, there's nothing wrong with the fact that I just feel like doing nothing today. Oh, Sharon, you are singing my tune. I, I have been saying to listeners, to my friends, to everyone I know for years, the day where you decide to invest yourself in the sheer joy of doing nothing, that's worth a month's therapy. Yeah, and one of the things I think I I, I, I suppose I've learned it myself because I'm, I'm very inclined to say yes to everything or to feel like I have to keep going because you kind of get into that rut, you know. But some, but, but I have this little thing, you know, if somebody says, oh, do you, you know, can you do this? And if I just feel like I can't, and I, you know, you feel guilty. So I always say to myself, you're not saying no to them, you're saying yes to yourself. And, you know, if you, if you have that kind of personality where you're not, naturally want to keep going, it can be very difficult to cut yourself from slack. To just have a sentence like that that just reminds you that, that actually some days you have to say yes to yourself. Um, and then when I look back, it's going to be funny things as well. Um, there's been 
days where I've been in my pyjamas for days. And I don't even realise how many days I've been going around in my pyjamas. And, you know, the DPD driver will come and he'll say, oh, still in the pyjamas today. And then, <laughs> then you realise, God, he hasn't been here in four days. Oh, my God, I have to get dressed, you know. So, so And then you say, just how much stuff am I buying online? Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm blaming my husband. But, um, but you know, so, so there's... there's so, you know, if I'm going in my pyjamas for three or four days, it, it's obviously because I, I'm not feeling motivated and I'm not feeling energetic. Um, but maybe that's okay too. Um, and, you know, and I am really looking out that my children, if I get up in the morning and I'm getting into the car and I'm a child, they say, please don't get out of the car when you get in your pyjamas, you know. So, um, <laughs> but, and I just say, look, guys, I, you know, but I, it's okay if I don't want to get dressed today. But, um, you know, so so there's there's been... There's been funny things. There's been uh, there's been hard things. I mean, we've we had grievances ourselves, you know, and not being able to, to grieve in the way that that Irish people are so good at, you know, yeah. and we're really good at. at oh, at, that that must have been so terrible yeah. for people. It really must. It really yeah. must. I, I was talking during the week about something, and I'm sure you've probably heard the term, Sharon. And, and I'll leave you with this because I wanted to come back to it: toxic positivity. This idea that we must push all negativity aside and just smile and just be positive. As a psychologist, I'm sure you'd tell me that's more harm than good. Uh, you can't ignore, you know, real feelings. You know, life is is not always uh, happy, clappy, uh, kumbaya. It's just not like that. Uh, we have, you know, bad days, we have sad days, we have angry days. They're all genuine, real feelings and they are as important as any other feeling. So it's just about saying, you know, saying, saying I'm really cross today. I'm really annoyed about this or I'm really sad and sitting with it for a little while and then saying, okay, um, am I lifting out of it? Can I lift out of it? Am I able to lift out of this myself? Do I need a little bit of help? And I I think with that toxic positivity, one of the things to think about is, you know, social media has a big role in this. Um, actually, even tell me, I was watching Home of the Year the other night, and you know, those people with these fabulous houses. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I was watching, I was saying, looking around my house, you know, where there's this permanent marker on the wall. One of the children has written, Hi, Mom. Big, huge writing, a permanent marker. And I'm looking around and going, Why can't I have, you know, a house where the dog hasn't chewed the couch and things like that? Um, but do you know what, what's going on in my house is, is I, is, I'm okay and I'm, and I'm safe and, and the kids are happy, yeah. and it doesn't matter that they've written on the wall the permanent marker. And if you know one of my friends is posting up pictures of their fabulous new kitchen on the on on Facebook, uh, one of my colleagues has this phrase, and I love it: "Keep looking at your own yoga mat. Don't look over at somebody else's yoga mat." Um, because when you're looking at what other people are doing, you never know what's what's going on in anybody else's house. I mean, if you looked at my social media, you'd say, oh, isn't she great? And she's, you know, baking tarts and all that kind of thing. But you don't know that I'm baking that tart in my pyjamas and I haven't brushed my hair in two days. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so I think we all, we all, I, I think we're all pretty good at being kind to other people. And when we're doing that, I think one of the things we need to do is to make sure that when we're doing that, that we're also being really kind to ourselves. I think that's a perfect way to finish the conversation. Sharon, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, PJ. On this spring morning, thank you so much. Dr. Sharon Lambert, she's a psychologist and lecturer in applied psychology at UCC. That's, we talk so much about being kind to other people. Let us be kind to ourselves. And if that means sitting down and eating a bucket of chicken from KFC, because that's what you want to do, 
do it. 1857 She's given us an idea, actually. Um, Chris was in touch to say, for example, on his bucket list after COVID is I'm meeting my first and my only niece. I've not even cuddled her yet. She's 15 months old. I'm going to hug the life out of my two sisters then. And then I'm taking them all hostage to a hotel for food and wine. And that's a great way to start off. Uh, between now and 12, because there's so much dark stuff going on at the moment and horrible stuff like, you know, great-grandmothers in County Clare not able to get a vaccine when teachers in a posh school in Dublin can get them because the hospital across the road, there's some handy contacts and all that. And you know, when there's crap going on, like, you know, files being held on, on kids that shouldn't be held on the kids, let's... Put all that aside for a minute. Think of something. Think of something that you want to do when this is over. The simple thing, the crazy thing, the mad thing. What do you want to do? There was a very good list compiled in the UK in the last few days of stuff that you want to do in the summer. Because over there, they reckon they'll be all open and up and running by the summer. But I'll have some of the stuff from that list. But is there something that you want to do above all other things when you can what do you want to do bucket list our covid bucket list and we'll have some fun for the rest of the show with that and that'd be a great one for the voice notes if you have a voice note for whatsapp 083 396 96 96 what is on your bucket list is Navin in Cavan? No, Debbie, there's just rhyme. Navin is in Mead. Cavan is a county. So what is the city in Navin? Are you being serious right now? It's a town, it's not a city. Wait, hold on. Who was your geography teacher? I didn't do Again. geography. <laughs> that explains everything. <laughs> so good. Lorraine and Demi. Lorraine and Demi. Live. If you want to hear me trying to figure out what's going on in Demi's brain, Saturdays. Tune in to us to see what else Demi figures out. Lorraine and Demi. Live. Saturdays, 2 to 6 p.m. On the best music mix. Corks, 96 FM. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, uh, Stephanie was on straight away. I want to go to any beach, anywhere, and just let the waves lap over my feet and just walk around without a care in the world. Yeah, the kind of stuff that you want on your bucket list. And that survey they did in the UK on the stuff that they really want to do when they get out of lockdown or get out of COVID, it would surprise you because the the top five, well, the top, the top two in the whole list of 40 are stuff that no COVID can take away from you which is very strange. But one of the ones that people wanted to, to, to be working anywhere except at home, to taste other people's baking, to go to an actual meeting face-to-face, to, to dress up to impress somebody, to go for a drink after work on a Friday, to go to a match, to go to a gig, to go to a shop and try something on. You know, these are the simple, simple things. What is your bucket list? What is the thing you want to do? I want to have a big family get-together, says Claire, and have a barbecue. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I bought myself a new barbecue, actually, last weekend. I haven't put it together yet because I can't have anybody around to cook for I'm looking forward to it when, when I can. 1850-715-996. If you, and I'd love particularly to hear your one in your voice. So if you're in the mood to send us a voice note, 083-396-9696 on WhatsApp. Now, Claire has been, you've received, I think, a number of letters recently uh, about service provision for your boy and it's worrying you. Good morning to you. Morning, how are things? Hi, what's the story? Oh yeah, I was actually just talking to my Instagram <laughs> as my venting um, about a letter that came in the post and I suppose, so my son Noah is seven and he has autism right. and you get a letter in the post as loads of other special needs parents have done this week saying that you know your child has been moved on from our service to a different service and I suppose a lot of parents have been left kind of scratching their head, frustrated, angry, because they're thinking, what service did I even have for the last number of years since their child had a diagnosis? Because it seems to be that it's a very unfair system, the way it's been going on the whole time. And they are coming up with this um, system now, with a kind of an umbrella system of all the children from uh, 1 to 18 uh, progressive Disability Service. Yeah, I, I got a look at one of the letters yesterday, um, and well, it seems to be like that the all the various providers, say Cope, Brother of Charity, mm-hmm. all the others, they're all kind of coming together now under one umbrella. Yeah. To try to streamline the thing. Yeah. And, and I suppose you can see why that might work, but I guess for a parent, it's just a letter about something changing. Absolutely. And, you know, everyone's experiences so far have been different. Some people, you know, it seems to come down to like, you know, 
geographically where you're living, um, the diagnosis. There's loads of different factors being taken into place. So in theory, this idea sounds amazing because it sounds like, you know, it doesn't matter where you're living now, um, what school your child goes to, whether your child, you know, has a certain diagnosis um, or not. It's just all children with disabilities are under and they apparently will be a team there to um, provide service for all of them. Now, of course, with change like this, like it is really, um, you know, it's leaving parents confused. I'd imagine people working in the services are quite confused of how this is going to work out. So in theory, it's a fantastic idea. But the reality is it's probably going to take a long time for like the children to be moved over from their services, their reports to be moved over and. Um, you know, for every child to get in seen to, like staffing, you know, you do worry about like how these things will work out and you don't want to doom something before it even begins at the same time or be negative about it. But um, I think, you know, especially when you have a child with autism, I feel like for me, it's always been like, you know, a ticking time bomb. I'm always like, oh, you need something now. Like, you know, even during this lockdown, like my son suffers with like severe anxiety and OCD. And he, like, resorted to pulling out his eyelashes. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And if I just had a number or a service or something with just instant, you know, um, services that could have been given to us at that time, it would have been so much easier to not just handle that by ourselves, you know. So, like, it's just, we just don't want to be transferred over to another system and then it's like oh while we're getting our bearings you know six months has gone by like a lot can happen for our children in six months you know not to have therapies available for them you know it like maybe this is something that will provide them hope for the future that there will be a service and they will get it up and running and but i think it's uh it's a case of having realistic expectations as well and it, it does come with our own um, stresses and worry that like yeah. your child is going to get lost in this new system. Like some people have been receiving, you know, little services from where they're at and maybe are quite happy where they're at, you know, and yeah. they might just view the lucky ones and then they might be kind of feeling like they're going to lose that or they're going to have to start from scratch again. So it is a worrying time and I think a lot of parents out there are just very, very angry at this stage at empty promises that they've been given for, you know, I know a friend of mine has an eight-year-old and he's been diagnosed since, I think, two and a half and hasn't had one service provided to her yeah. or even, like, anything at all. And then it's like you get a letter in post being like, oh, we're moving the service. Yeah. Like, well, I have a copy of it in front of me here. I was just trying to drag it up out of my emails just to have a look at it. And effectively what this is, is it, it it's Cork Kerry Community Healthcare. And I'm, I suppose... Anyone else who's got it, um, who wants to share their concerns with us, is welcome to do so. But Cork Kerry Community Healthcare Progressing Disability Services for Children and Young People Not to 18 Years Family Bulletin, they call it, March 2021, aims to achieve a national unified approach to delivering children's disability health services. The central focus is to provide a clear pathway to services regardless of where a child lives, goes to school, or the nature of their disability or delay. HSE in partnership with Enable Ireland, Brothers of Charity, St. Joseph's, uh, COPE, are working together to establish one unified regional network service of 14 teams. Now, again, that all looks very laudable and very exciting, but we're, we're kind of, I suppose, we're pre-triggered to worry when we get something like that in the door, aren't we? Yeah, 
Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, as, as much as you try to be positive and you try to think, okay, this sounds fantastic, you do have to remain realistic about it and, you know, not to get straight away. Because we're, used, we're used to stuff going belly up, us parents Absolutely. of children like that. Yeah. Uh, just before I go, you, there's a song you want us to, to have a quick listen to. Oh, yeah, my husband, Mark Daly, he's a Cork musician. He, uh, just because it's coming up to Autism Awareness, uh, month in yeah. April um, he re-released it last April uh, Your World Reimagined and it's on um, Spotify iTunes all YouTube but we got um, loads of clips of uh, videos sent in I have a small blog page on Instagram of Queen Overshare and I love the name by the way <laughs> it's literally <laughs> my mother says I overshare everything so I said I might as well <laughs> use that as my name <laughs> But yeah, we, I just asked them, some of the moms and some of the parents that follow me on there to send in um, clips of the kids if they wanted us to put together like a little music video. And um, we put it with the song and it was just lovely. Just uh, Mark wrote it when Noah was diagnosed. He was diagnosed at two and a half, he's seven now. And I thought like music is his way of kind of, you know, dealing with it at the time. So yeah. that's where the song came from. But it's okay. a lovely song for anyone who is. Okay. Like starting off on their well, like journey. Well, we have a we'll we'll, we'll play a snatch of it as as we leave you go. Good to talk to you, Claire. We will follow this one over the weeks and months to come because clearly there is an intention to do something good, yeah, uh, and that's to be lauded. Let's be positive here when we can. Absolutely. But unfortunately, parents have seen so much go belly up in the past that there's a natural kind of distrust of something that looks like an exciting plan. Claire, thank you very much. Best to Noah and best to you. And here is a quick snatch of your world here you go and I know that you're perfect and you always will be I'm the proudest man alive and I know that the struggles will keep coming our way but we'll face them Lovely. Mark Daly. Let's go find that on YouTube, Spotify, wherever. That's one he wrote for his son, Noah. Uh, nice one. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Written and performed by John McCarthy, City is a show about the weight of a lifetime's discarded stories and about keeping going even when the shop lights are off. This is a special audio stream from The Everyman taking place on Friday, April 15th to the 26th with tickets available from everymancork.ie. Access all areas. Bandwagons bring their popular podcast show to Cypress Avenue this November and the podcast was born out of two longtime friends' obsessions with pop culture and shared conversation. Breed Brown and Fanula Jones look to live the lid off the talking points that have other people talking. The live podcast takes place on November 12th. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. 
So are you saying, PJ, you would have liked those extra doses to have been thrown out that day? Their doses made up of the dregs of the vials of the used doses from people who didn't show up. They have to be used. You're absolutely right. They have to be used. But was it necessary to take them across the road to a private school? Could they not have found someone in the hospital who needed them? Could they not have found a patient who might benefit from a vaccine and move them up the waiting list? You know, Or was there not someone more worthy? Because they've admitted, and just so to clarify here, they have admitted this morning that they went outside the usual sequence. When you have extra doses, and we've explained why there are extra doses in many batches, when you have extra doses now, there is a sequence, there is a protocol of where you're supposed to go. They've admitted they didn't exhaust that protocol. There's the problem. Of course, not one vaccine should be thrown in the bin. If you have to go out and take people at the bus stop and pull down the sleeve of their coat and stick a needle in their arm so as to avoid not wasting one, grand! As long as it's their turn. 1850 And let us remind ourselves again of Sarah Ryan, aged 98, and Claire still waiting for her first jab. Do you remember that we had... Amy Barrett on the programme a couple of weeks ago talking about the need for counselling and support for people after their abuser has been jailed. Amy and her sister, of course, were abused by their dad. He is serving time. They have no support after he's gone to prison. Let's have a listen. After the case finished, it was almost like you're left on your own now. You know, you have to go away. You have to try and find counselling yourself. Free counselling you're faced with long waiting lists or if you can pay for it yourself, uh, there's like you're faced with trying to find a low-cost counsellor and there's not many of them around either. I don't want to come across like that I'm begrudging these like sex offenders of getting rehabilitation treatment because I think it's just a human right, isn't it? We, we all deserve to be treated fairly, you know, but two key words just jumped out out at me as they have a care plan and they have support but we don't we have no care plan we're dropped we have to find our own and create our own care plan you know the victims are forgotten about and I think that they need to step up now and they need to sort it out it's going on too long the waiting list in like the National Counseling Service here in Cork is about 18 months the last time I checked like I'm lucky I had great support network around me yeah you but not everyone has that. Among the people listening to that was the Mayor of County Cork Councillor Mary Linehan Foley. Um, Mayor Foley, good morning. Good morning, PJ. I believe you've taken up the cudgels now on behalf of people like Amy. You want a service provided. Exactly. And I suppose, look, Amy contacted me a number of weeks ago. And I would know Amy and I would know her family um, because they're from the area that I'm from. But um, Amy contacted me, I suppose, a number of weeks ago by phone. And we had a good discussion because obviously I'd seen it on the news and heard it on your show and stuff like that. And I said, look, Amy, I think the way forward here, as in my position, not just as mayor, but as a Cork County Councillor and as a public representative, would be to bring it forward to um, a full council meeting and get it put in as a motion. And that's exactly, PJ, 
what I did because I think with motions, once they go forward, um, it's in, uh, you're on the case then basically and publicly it's looked at and not only that, officially a letter has gone then to the minister and officially he has to answer back mm. once a motion is passed. So what has so, happened? You got the motion passed, a letter is going to Stephen Donnelly I presume, asking for what? Well, I suppose the the wording of my motion would be that um, the, calling on the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly to help victims of domestic, sexual and gender-based violence access free psychological support and counselling, bearing in mind that this is a free service for perpetrators while in prison. So they were along the lines that I went to PJ and I spoke to Amy before I put it forward and I asked her because for obvious reasons I wouldn't have been aware of this said situation that the country is in until it was brought to my attention mm. and I spoke to Amy and I said look Amy um, what wording would you like me to do on your behalf and what way would you like me to put it so we kind of came together and we put the wording together you co-wrote the letter as it were exactly yeah. Yeah. exactly. Good, 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 like good, PJ good. I felt I suppose look I'm a public representative I don't know everything about everything you know and I put my hand up always and say that so I kind of had to go into I suppose Amy's situation and understand it yes. and then go from there. Okay, okay. And we'll see where the letter goes from here and I'm sure we'll catch up with you when you get a reply, assuming that you do. I, I, I know that you wanted to refer to your community wards. Uh, usually it's a, a big event, but it had to happen online uh, this year. Um, but, but you wanted to congratulate all the people involved. I did, PJ, and thanks for giving me um, a minute to say that. Just to thank all the volunteers throughout the county of Cork that do tremendous work and are doing more work now than ever, I suppose, um, during the pandemic and that. And it was a great night in the sense online. Um, it was pre-recorded in the studios in Cork there. And we just, you know, we tried to make the best of what we could do. But there's there's nothing, and, and I'm sure you know this better than anyone, there's nothing like these physical events where people are recognised and people mm. are, um, you know, commended for what they do. But we made the best of the situation in the time that we have. And all the people that were mentioned, I'd just like to say well done and congratulations to them all. All right. OK, thank you very much. Councillor Mary Lenehan. Foley, the mayor of the county of Cork. We followed that story with interest. Uh, herself and Amy sat down effectively and co-wrote that letter to Stephen Donnelly. We'll see what happens with that. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. 1857-15996 is the number to call. The text of WhatsApp 083-396-9696 and the email opinion at 96fm.ie. I am hearing reports of snow. Kevin has uh, tweeted that it's snowing where he is. Frank also said it was snowing on Blarney Street a few minutes ago. As I look out my window, we've had a shower in the last while but the sun is shining again in the window of Studio One but there seems to be some snow out there coming up in just a sec a great television show that you can either watch week by week or binge upon should you wish to do so Uh, I was dubious myself about this until I tried it and it's an absolute humdinger coming up in a little while looking for something to watch over the weekend. We also have been getting some of your voicemails or voice notes rather with regard to your bucket lists and I think Amy who contacted us at 083 396 96 96 and left us a voice note 
Um, I think she sums up what a lot of people just want at the end of all of this. Hey, uh, um, Amy here. I miss gigs. If I were to go to a gig now, I wouldn't even drink. I would actually just take it all in. And I'd probably cry. I'd probably cry. Oh, my God, yeah. I wouldn't want to be drinking from the first gig back. Like, oh, can't wait. I can't wait. Oh, I know how you feel, Amy, because this time of the year, myself and my son would be sitting down and plotting our gig list for the summer. We we, we so would. We so, so would. This time last year, we had about seven or eight gigs planned and we didn't get to any of them. And we really wanted to do them again this year. So we know how you feel, Amy. And then Patrick has another cracker of an idea. And you know what, Patrick? This is something I might do myself. Hi, PJ. Patrick here. My bucket list would be... The first thing I want to do anyway is take a spin to Dursey Island on the cable car. Uh, just the thought of it. Always wanted to do it. And just generally go up to Dublin and have a general trip around Dublin, getting in all the sites, a lot of which I've seen before. But it'd be nice to set them back again. Uh, owing for f- freedom, looking forward to freedom. Thank you. That's You're welcome. You're welcome, sir. If you have an idea like that, just something that you want to do when all of this nonsense is over, or at least when you have an opportunity, it might not be gone completely, but when lockdown is over and we can do some of the things that we can't do now, uh, your bucket list, 083 396 96 96. We'd love to see a, a couple more of those voice notes coming in. I love Rory's one in particular. He just wants to go, I said this before the 11 o'clock, uh, it, as soon as things open up, just going to take a week off work, pack a bag, head for the train station, and off you go. No plan, no decisions, no nothing. Go wherever the rails take me on the day. That's freedom. I love, 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 love that idea. I love a good murder mystery, and I love a good comedy. It's rarely the two mix well. Orla Condon from uh, Extra.ie does, the, does it work on the flight attendant? Good morning. Morning, PJ. I totally agree. I totally agree. It's really hard to set up a kind of a murder mystery where there's really high stakes and it's quite graphic at times and quite violent, but also there's a real dark humour and a real lovable side to the show as well. But this one just, the flight attendant just nails it and it's mostly down to Kaylee Cuoco, uh, who stars in the, in the main role of the show. She's just brilliant. People will know her as Penny from the Big Bang Theory, yeah. probably mostly. Um, and this is such a departure from her, but she is just outstanding in this. And I was so gripped from the very first episode mm. right through to the finale. It's just brilliant. The premise is that she is a flight attendant who drinks too much and tends to play away a bit with some of the passengers. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that's fine in itself. But she wakes up in a hotel room in Bangkok with a dead guy. Yeah, so she's kind of this chaotic, you know, flight attendant. She doesn't really have her her life together. She's kind of very scattered and drinking from the mini bar on her flights and, and just this, yeah, very chaotic energy. Uh, but yeah, she spends the night with a passenger called Alex on her way to, to Bangkok on one of her flights. And she wakes up the next day and she finds him in the bed next to her, dead, with no memory of what happened the night before, uh, in a foreign country with no one to really turn to for help. And there's blood uh, so there. Yes, yeah, there's a lot of blood there. There's a lot of blood there. It's a very messy crime scene. Uh, so she's kind of panicked and she doesn't know what to do. And the whole premise of the show is that she kind of gets out of Bangkok as quickly as she can. And then it's all about piecing together what happened. You know, her memory of the night. Did she have a role to play? Was there someone else involved? 
uh, and it's just when I say edge your seat stuff like just there's just such a great pace the whole way through the series um, and it's one of those shows where you just you can't wait for another season you can't wait for another episode it's just gripping from start to finish Now it is being shown weekly on one of the Sky channels but if you happen to have a now contract you can watch the whole lot yeah, so it's on Sky Atlantic week to week, but it's also, if you have a Sky um, subscription, you can also get the catch-up. You can watch the whole thing on Sky Catch-Up, and it's on their TV if you want to binge it all. And this is definitely a series where it's hard, it's hard to wait a week for another episode, mm. just because she finds herself in the most precarious of situations, the kind of, you know, will she get out of this one? Those kind of questions constantly, you know, mm. who's behind the veil and things like that. It, so it's going to be hard for you to kind of wait week to week. So there are options if you want to just feast through it. And something else as well, like with these, some of them, because of the fact that, that they're, they're a little bit light as well, well, dark comedy, you tend to be able to pick who done it or what actually happened halfway through episode one. Doesn't happen here. No, it doesn't. And it, but it's definitely a show. I, I hope you agree. Where you kind of you you step into the role of investigator yourself. You know, yeah. you're looking at things that seem a little bit out of place. And oh, does that have a part to play here? And that character is kind of suspicious. And maybe this was the link. So it's, it's very much like one for you to get involved in. It's not a show. You know, we're so used to second screening. You know, watching TV while on our phone or scrolling on our laptops or whatever. This is one where you'll be very much eyes fixed on the screen trying to figure it out along with Kaylee Coco's character Cassie um, and that's just great you just don't get telly like that as much anymore because of streaming services and the nature of kind of you know we're always on multiple screens at the same time it's rare to find a show that you're just like phone down my eyes are on the screen for the next kind of 50 minutes to see what the latest is going on here it's, Ooh, it's just wow. brilliant good old fashioned mystery TV though. I know do you remember those days <laughs> I do yeah I do you're too young to remember the best of all time although you might have seen it later was Murder One. Uh, Murder One was a series in the 90s that was like that. Murder One, like when we only had videotapes and there was no such thing as streaming, right? You actually, I used to, I used to watch it, tape it at the same time, then watch it back yeah. and keep notes. <laughs> it was that That's complex. Isn't it? Oh, That's it was, I love television like that. So yeah, I, I got about it, I got a, a, a small bit into the first episode or two last night at Flight 10. Must, must watch it again, but it really is a big recommendation. And I think there's a second series already um, yeah, it's been it's been renewed for a second series. So it premiered kind of late last year uh, on HBO in the US. So it's only kind of filtering over here now. So it's already got the green light for a second season yeah. because of how popular it's been. So we can expect that probably around this time next year, kind of March 2022. Yeah. Um, and there is a thread kind of a, of a storyline running through the series that they haven't suggested that that's going to be the storyline for the second season, but they very much build it up to be maybe good. where we carry on. There's plenty of open doors. Actually, it has. I should have forgot. I should have remembered. It has a good pedigree because it's come from the same people that made you. Yeah, so yeah, for for people who kind of love that, you know, I suppose just that kind of creepy element of what's going on. Who is is everyone being as honest as they as they are playing? Yeah, it's got it's just brilliant, and there's a brilliant cast as well. You recognise loads of faces in it. Obviously, Kayleigh Coco in the main role, um, but uh, Zafia Mame as well, who people will know from Girls if they watch that show. Mm. Tior Knight, who was George in uh, Grey's Anatomy, yeah, uh, makes a very great return to our TV screens. I haven't seen him on my screens in a very long time, so there'll be a lot of faces that you'll recognise as well. But it's, right. it really is one that I can wholeheartedly say is worth sitting down this weekend and having a go, especially when we still have nothing to do. I know. It's the perfect excuse to stay in. All right, listen, thanks as always, Orla. Orla Condon uh, for Extra.ie. A strong recommendation. And as I said, I had a peak. Very busy last night, but I had a peak at an episode of it. I'll have to go back and watch it again. The Flight Attendant. Uh, highly, highly recommended. If you like your...
murder mystery that she nutted need to focus on and a bit of comedy thrown in. 1850 Actually, you was very like that. You really had to focus on you uh, from start to finish. But there were times when you was really, really funny. Really funny. 1850 At this point, I just want to mention somebody. I got some sad news last night. I got a contact or a message from our now retired colleague at 96FM, Billy Barry. Um, Billy was our soccer correspondent, soccer reporter here, soccer commentator for, for many, many years. And uh, good to know that Billy is hale and hearty and our best go out to him and his wife, Emily. But Billy had a brother. And it was only in latter years we found out the connection here. But Billy's brother was a man called Tom. Barry. And Tom Barry was one of our favourite contributors on the opinion line over the years. Tom would text. I don't think he ever learned to WhatsApp, but he would text furiously. You could get 10 text messages from Tom in the course of the morning. And every so often, Tom would come on air and he'd have a point to make. And he'd make his, he'd make his point well. And he'd make it cogently. Now, we'd many a row. We had many a row, me and Tom. But we'd many a laugh, too, over the years. And he was so well-read on current affairs, on news. He'd such a, a, a grip on politics. It was his own grip. It was uniquely his own grip. And he didn't care whether he was right or wrong. He was right sometimes. He was right, wrong other times. But Tom didn't care. Tom would say what was on his mind about the politics and the current affairs of the day. And I was very sad to learn last night that poor Tom has passed away. We were very, very fond of him. And whenever we'd go out doing an outside broadcast, Tom would be there. Uh, he'd come, we'd have a crack with him. Uh, lovely, lovely guy. Lovely man. Uh, sad to hear that Tom has, has passed away. Um, and to remember what he sounded like, I went digging into the archives and I only had to go back to about 2018 um, when he made one of his memorable appearances on the show. We were discussing Sir Michael Check and the political scandal that erupted post-cervical check. And uh, Tom messaged us one morning, a passionate message, calling for a general election in the wake of what we knew about cervical check. And we called him because he wanted to make his point on the air. The thing is, Tom, and this is the sad part, if you had an election in the morning, click your fingers, election, you'd end up with the same set of numbers again, almost certainly. It's very unfortunate that that's the case, PJ. So it's incumbent on us, the voters, to put extreme pressure on these guys because they're getting a king's ransom for a very little work. The trust of women is broken. You have daughters. I have a daughter. How do we get that trust back, Tom? PJ, I don't really know. Um, I don't think this has ever occurred in any state before. So it's really new as well in modern society to see that the, the arm of the state is wrongdoing against women. It's crazy. I think, PJ, we thought that when we passed the marriage equality vote in this country, that we were a fabulous group of people, wonderful people and very modern. I'm afraid that's very, very far from the case. That's one of the last appearances he made. His health hasn't been great in the last number of years. And as I said, he passed away last evening. But we will remember Tom Barry with great fondness as a, a member of our dysfunctional opinion line family. 
and we will think of him with affection and we will miss him. The Cork's 96FM Music Panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100-euro shopping voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. This is Quark's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Quark's 96FM. Yeah, loving some of your bucket list suggestions. The stuff that you just want to do. It would mean an awful lot to you when COVID is either over or when we can go out again and live some kind of a normal life when lockdown lifts. I would rush into pennies and buy a few pairs of knickers, says that message. You know what? I'd say you'd be joining a queue. Knickers and fluffy socks. My bucket list, says Tony, I'm going to head on the bus down to Waterford and do the Waterford Greenway. And then uh, I want to hug my family. There's a few of them coming in, and I guess a lot of us do too. It's a small thing, says Claire, but I'm looking forward to a leisurely browse in a shop, any shop, and a nice cup of coffee, and no mask to stop me from drinking it. Yeah, you know the takeaway coffee that you buy and there's loads of it out there, but you have the cup with you, right? You can't actually browse in a shop when you have the cup because you have to wear a mask in the shop and you can't, yeah, yeah. You can see, Claire, why you'd like that. I'd take a few more suggestions if if they are there uh, at eight, at, uh, sorry, 083, 396, 96, 96. And I, I will give you more from that list that they compiled in the UK. Um Having a barbecue was fairly a, a trip to the countryside. And I guess if we've been living and stuck in our 5K, a trip to the countryside means an awful lot to a lot of people. Sitting in a pub garden to have my lunch with a pint. That's actually one of my ones. I, I love on a Friday here to leave a little bit early as I do, head away, pick up the umphala, and we go to a pub. And if it's got a beer garden, we go out the back and we'll have fish and chips, the two of us, and have lunch together. I love doing that, and I, I really do miss that. Watching a blockbuster on a big screen. Do you know? They're all streamed now. That's grand, but going, yeah, going to Mahan Point. Here's another one. Go to Mahan, going to Mahan Point, or any cinema of your choice. Going to Mahan Point, buying the popcorn, getting a big bucket of Fanta, finding the seat, and the movie. A proper movie on the big screen. Yeah, such simple things that we want to do when we can do them. But you'd be amazed, this list, what comes on top of it. Two things that no COVID can take from you. 1850-715-996, your suggestions, please. And voice notes, welcome to at 083-396-9696. Today is Daffodil Day. We're mentioning it all day. It's, it's kind of a digital Daffodil Day. It's one of the most important ones they've had yet, and it's in partnership with Boots. They can't be on the streets, uh, unfortunately, doing what they always do and have done for years. So they want you to help. And you can support Daffodil Day and help the Irish Cancer Society uh, by donating at cancer.ie. 
Simple as that. Daffodil Day, Digital Daffodil Day. Please go online to cancer.ie and donate. And in conjunction with that, and to mark the occasion, I've been speaking this week with Neil O'Sullivan. He's a father of two. He works for the council. And a number of years ago, Neil began to feel unwell, very unwell. And he was diagnosed with cancer. And now he joined me this week to talk about that and to talk about the importance of the Irish Cancer Society and why we should raise money on Daffodil Day. So, Neil, I suppose I'll start by asking you how your health is now. Excellent. Excellent. Things are going very well. Uh, like It's brilliant. I enjoyed running. The job is going very well with Cork City Council. It's, it's brilliant. Everything's it's fantastic. Just to come through the other side of what I was through. Yeah. Like, you know, it's only now that you appreciate it when you look back and see what you've gone through. Yeah. You noticed pain. Now, sometimes we hear about testicular cancer that there isn't pain until very late on. Talk to me about what happened with you. Uh, that's exactly what happened to me. It started off with lower back pain on my left hand side, and I was doing some work in the house at the time. So when I woke up, I felt a twinge, and I put it down to that. But then the pain came out out the front and down into my left testicle, but the pain got progressively worse throughout the day. Like I started off early in the morning, but then around four or five o'clock, the pain got unbearable. Yeah. You had no pain as such until that no. day? No. Wow. No, no pain. But like that now as well, I was 41 at the time. Like I was fit and healthy. I was running. I was doing a lot of running at times since back up to hurling. And I, I said, I, was, I felt fine. Like, you know, you said, all men feel pain. Was this this pain was worse than anything I had before? Like it was it was like something going through you. And it all it was all just in one day. You got up and it was there. You thought it was down to pulling and dragging with the patio. Then you yeah. sat down to watch a match, and it just got worse and worse. Yeah, went down to watch the match. I remember the kids were young at the time as well, and I was trying to watch the match, but couldn't concentrate. Couldn't concentrate in the game. It's, you know, you know when you feel pain, you try to get a comfortable position. Yeah, there was no comfortable position with this. Like there was yeah. none. Like I ended up on a heap in my bedroom floor. That's that's how bad it got for me. And uh, managed to ring my wife then, and uh, I said, "You need to come home. There's something wrong here. There's something serious." You know? And she came home. And how quickly after that were you in hospital? Uh, that night. That night, Audrey Muldoon here, my neighbour, was fantastic. Only for Audrey saying go to hospital, I would ask for a Nurofen or a Panadol or something. Say, give me a Nurofen there, and I'd be grand. A typical man. Well, she said no. She said it's more. It's worse than that. You need to go in. And I was assigned to UH, then in A&E, and you're in there a couple of hours before you're seen, and the pain was getting progressively worse all through this time. Mm. And uh, I, again, I knelt down, I think, in some corridor near A&E, and some security guard saw me, and he said, you need to come in here, Just, you're, you're, you're very bad. And I said, Jesus, that'd be great, thanks. D- describe the pain for me, Neil. Was it like, was it a sharp pain, a dull pain? What kind of a pain was it? No, a sharp, penetrating pain. The, the nearest, I've never been, like the nearest thing I say, I say to this, it's like getting a knife, tr- putting it into somebody, and turning the knife. <sighs> is that is that sharp, darting pain. It was, it was excruciating, and it wasn't until I was given morphine, on the Saturday night, early Sunday morning, that, that the pain started to ease. And when I got the morphine, then I said, oh, gee, this is great. Yeah. You know? So where was it coming from? Uh, my left side. My left side. My left kidney. That's where the pain was coming from. You must have had all sorts of things going through your head, had you? 
Uh, not really, no, because being in sports and that, um, I just, I didn't know, to be honest with you. Um, when you're involved in a few sports and even running it, it, I didn't really. I, I was innocent enough and naive enough. I didn't mm. think anything. And when then did they tell you the news that was cancer? Well, I was, I was, I was brought in, I was brought, admitted into CDU clinic, uh, ward in CUH, Clinical Decision Unit, and so I was in there for three or four days getting tests and bloods and scans all throughout this period. And then I was left home. And when I was left home, then I, I managed to return to work for a couple of days as well in between. And then I got a call from uh, Mr. Frank O'Brien, uh, a surgeon, and he said, uh, you need to come in to the oncology uh, clinic in CUH. And he gave me a set time and um, I went in to meet him then. And it was to then myself and Joanne, we were inside in the CUH, just oncology, CUH waiting room, and we were looking around. We see all this stuff for cancer. And we said, what's all this about? Why are we here? Like, because still never dawned to me the cancer ward. You never think it's going to dawn in your door, you know. And um, uh, it's, even, it wasn't until Frank actually said it. Frank said to me, he says, no, it says it's you, it's, it's testicular cancer. He's, he said, you have an old boy in your left testicle and you have an old on your left kidney. And he says, we need to do surgery on you. And it was then it was like, you're getting hit by a train. Like, you can put yourself in this position, you know, you, you know when somebody tells you that, like, it's just... You're numb for the first few minutes of it. And then after that, I, I said, no, he's wrong. And I said it to him. I said, you're wrong. I says, I'm flying fit. He says, no, he says, you're wrong. He says, you're young, fit and healthy. You're an ideal candidate for this. You're young, fit and healthy. You're an ideal candidate for this. That's strange. Yeah, because, That's very strange. Well, it's, it's, it's not really because this testicular cancer is, these are the, these are the people that, that, that it hits the hardest, is, is the young, fit and healthy males that are in the prime of their life, we'll say that they're the people that um, will be affected by this type of cancer. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So from there, then it was surgery and other treatment. Describe that, Pat. Uh, surgery, first surgery happened on 17th of December 2014 and CUH, Frank O'Brien, removed my left testicle. And then I was left home to recover, got through Christmas okay. Um, and then the end of January, start of February 15. I was admitted for chemotherapy. The chemotherapy started in uh, first week of February 15, and that, pres- that concluded that I went down for three months. And then I was left home, left to recover after the chemo. And then the 12th of July 15, I was admitted to Mercy in C. Well, a week previous to that, I was told about the surgery, the lymph node dissection to go after the node in my left kidney. Mm. Uh, and Paul explained the surgery and when he explained the surgery it kind of hit me for six again because I thought I'd gone through the worst of it but I was far from it mm. The chemotherapy how tough was that? The chemotherapy was very the first two weeks I found okay well, like my chemotherapy I was in hospital for five uh, five full days so I'd go in the Sunday night just insert the cannula in your arm you're up dinner 5.30 have a shower 6am you're, you're hooked up for the chemo and that would go on then for 10, 11 hours and you're unhooked then so you can go out, have a walk around, get a bit of fresh air. That went on for five days and you did the five days then you're left home to recover for two weeks hmm. and then the pattern starts again two weeks later you're in the Sunday evening. Like the first two cycles of that I found okay but the third cycle and the fourth cycle, the fourth cycle especially, I was hit for six. I was I was just wiped after it, you know. Hmm. I couldn't climb the stairs here, no energy. Um, there wasn't uh, physical sickness, but just energy was and flat. And uh, the physical 
side, side of me then changed as well. Your hair starts to fall out. You see changing yourself. You're bloated from all the steroids. You're on 17 tablets a day to counteract the effects of the chemotherapy. Mm. Um, and you're, 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 you're fairly wiped after it. And do you ever think along the way, God, where is this going? Do you get worried? Do you get scared? You do, you do, and even even post uh, treatment, going in for scans and bloods, yeah, you, you you need to be very courageous because you're 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 constantly thinking, what's going to happen now? What's around the corner for me here? No, you know, getting in, get going in for a CT scan and getting hooked up and all the rest of it. Hmm. You're you're always thinking like, what what's it going to be? But if but I'd 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 have, I had a word for myself then inside when I was getting chemo. PMA is the word I use, the, the, the initials that I use, positive mental attitude. Yeah. And that that was massive for me, like to, to have a positive attitude to get through this. And I had great support around me then as well. Derek Power, Frank O'Brien, Paul, Paul Sweeney, these people, you know, and mm. my wife and family, my parents at the time were yeah. absolutely brilliant as yeah. well, you know. They, you, you couldn't be positive enough going through the treatment because... Um, it, it it takes its toll, PJ. You know. Yeah, yeah. You had this. You were mentioned it a while ago. You had a second bit of surgery to have done then, and was that more severe than the first one? It was. It was more more. It's more severe than uh, than the two of them put together. Like after the chemo, after the fourth cycle of chemo, I went right. Okay, nothing. This lymph node dissection surgery. There's only three surgeons in the country do them, and luckily enough, one of them is in Cork. And I said, it, it couldn't be worse than what I've been through. Like, I've been through three months of chemo, you know yourself, testicle removed. You'd say, right, it can't be any worse than what's, what's after happening. Yeah. But, but it was it was ten times worse. It was way worse, to be honest with you. They had to take out what? A lymph node, was it? They take out the lymph, the, the lymph node beside, there was a, a, a node beside the left kidney. And they had to go in to take that out. But they have to open you from your breastplate to your pelvis. To get at it, Ooh. yeah. So that that's an eleven-hour surgery, and it's to remove everything inside you to get at what they need to get at, and they just they don't take the bad no, they take all the good ones as well. Ooh. You know, so that was an eleven-hour surgery. That's like that's heavy duty, my friend. It is. It is. Yeah, that was severe. Like I was meant to be in hospital for seven to ten days at the time, and ended up being in there for four or five weeks. Mm. I think you know. And was there more chemo after that then? No, no, that was it then. That was it then. I was done then after that. Just left home, left home to recover after it. And um, and see, just, just just keep in touch with it, your surgeons and your doctors and uh, anything that's going wrong or um, bloods, getting bloods checked. And I managed to return to work then in November 15. Mm. So I, did, I was determined to go back after a year. It was, it was nearly a year to the week. That I was out for uh, for the for the treatment. Yeah. Did you ever get disheartened along the way, or did you ever? I suppose did you ever lie awake at night thinking I'm not going to make it? Uh, did I ever get disheartened? I didn't get disheartened until the fourth cycle of chemo, and that week uh, the nurses couldn't get a vein in my arm, and uh, I broke down that week. I uh, because anybody's been through to, to treat these treatments. You're constantly um, being hooked, hooked up and needles and um, there's just a time that it gets, gets to you and that was the time that it got to me just that I was absolutely 
I just, I said, Jesus, I said, like, give us a break here and get a vein, like, you know, but then they put the blanket on me and uh, the heated blanket. And after an hour then of heating your arms, we were able to get a vein and then the treatment continued. Mm. Like, that was tough. And they're great people. Like, they'll talk you through it all and they'll say, it'll be okay, we'll be fine, we'll get it all done. That's so important. Unbelievable, unbelievable. We give out about the healthcare system here, PJ, but once you're in that system, the healthcare that I got was second to none. It was fantastic. Like yeah. Derek Power and his team, Frank O'Brien and his team, they were unbelievable, unbelievable. And Sergeant CUH, sure, Power was looking after my chemo and she was absolutely fantastic, you know. Yeah. I couldn't say enough about them. And Derek still, I see Derek regularly still. He's, they're absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Were you into the running before all of this or did it, was it part of your recovery? I was into the running before uh, and it was part of my acceptance as well. Uh, as well as my recovery, it was part of accepting that I was sick. Um, like after Frank O'Brien told me that I, I tested for cancer, I went out and did a six-mile run. That's <laughs> some reaction. It was, it was. That was part of accepting it as well. I, I said, like, no, he's wrong. Like, if, the, if someone tells you these things, like you say, no, you, 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 the hardest part of it was, trying, is, was accepting that's, that you need help. Mm. That you need to put your hand up, and that you're sick, and that that you need you need to get uh, help, and mm. the running. Then I was doing running um, beforehand, but not not to half marathon standard. Mm. Uh, and it was afterwards. Then during treatments, I said, if I ever get out of this, that I, I might push push myself a bit more, and that's what happened. Then that I pushed myself and uh, managed to do six half marathons post treatment. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and you say you're in you're in good shape now. Like we're talking need to mark Daffodil Day and, and the Irish Cancer Society and, and the important work that they do. Um like the support around you, that doesn't come from nothing. That has to be that has to be funded for and that's why an event like Daffodil Day is so so important. Huge. And even more so now with the lockdown. That's uh there's 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 no there's nobody out selling daffodil daffodils on the street and you can't have the fundraising events that we have because of lockdown through COVID and uh, the funding is down some figures like two and a half million I heard from the Cancer Society mm. so it's massive it's absolutely massive now that people could help out in any way that they can and and explain for listeners who are wondering what they'd be making their donation for like you had all the doctors and all the nurses and the treatment like that but the society the cancer society provides another level of treatment for you or another level of support what form did that take for me it took the counseling our coast uh, inside in the western road and they were there whenever i needed them you know you know all you have to do is pick up the phone and they'll answer whatever questions that that, that, that you have and the support is just a, and if there's more counselling support now, which you didn't have at the time, like the support that you get is unbelievable, PJ. It's fantastic. And mm. I couldn't say enough about the people involved and the support that I got through this. And it's vital when you're going through uh, procedures like this. ARC, they're one of our uh, partners as well on our annual Radiothon. And, and what people have talked about with ARC is it's not just you. It's it's your wife. It's it's everyone connected yeah. to Neil. That's that the support is there for everybody. Exactly, exactly. My wife and my mum used to go into our house and they used to chat with the counsellors inside 
also like you know that it's not as you're dead right it's not just a patient because cancer is a diagnosis that affects the whole family like i suppose you 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 probably did think did you neil in the early i'm going to die did you think that at all i did after the second surgery uh i'd an epidural in my back and i did i you you got i got pretty low at that because i was in i was meant to be in there for seven to ten days and I was in there something like two weeks and I was looking around the room and saying, will I ever get out of here? Mm. You know? And you know when you get feelings like that then, what what does counselling do to get you through that? It gets it gets you to see the positive side of it, that there is a way out, that the, the best people are looking after you. And I was very fortunate to have the people that I did around me, mm. like Paul Sweeney, Derek Power, Frank O'Brien. I was very fortunate. And, and uh, my own family as well, the support that we got as well as our house. Like we were all very fortunate that we were there, you know. You wouldn't have got through it without the, the support that was there. Men, we men, as it were, we're the world's worst. We ignore stuff. Now, your pain was such that you couldn't ignore it. But I think what you want to get across today is, Neil, that we must all, all men, mind ourselves because this thing could be in us that we don't know about. Correct. Yeah, 100%. And as, as men, we don't get checked regularly. At the time, I was 41. I was feeling fit. I was feeling healthy. I was doing a bit of running. And I said, sure, there's nothing wrong with me. But it's still vital that you get checked regularly. You get your blood done annually. Mm-hmm. And that if you're feeling something wrong, that you go and get it checked, that you don't ignore it. Because I ignored the first time. But the second time, it just got so bad that I couldn't ignore it. Mm. So it, it's vital that we do go to the doctors and we do talk as well as men. We're slow to talk about things, you know. But, uh, it's very important that we, 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 we discuss what's going on. Yeah. Listen, thanks for talking to us today and continued good health to you. Pleasure, PJ. Pleasure. That's uh, Neil. Uh, we wish him continued good health on his uh, recovery. Neil O'Sullivan um, and with us to Mark daffodil day please go to cancer.ie to make your donation 1850 there's a single vehicle accident uh, ken Perrett sends us this thanks ken single vehicle accident on ballyhooly road up by the old keating's furniture showroom there's a fire brigade and ambulance on the scene traffic reduced to one lane hopefully no one is too badly hurt in that but just be aware of it at the moment Bernie was on about bucket lists and we have one or two more before we finish Bernie's bucket list came true for her yesterday she got to see her 100 year old friend in the nursing home for the first time in a year and a half that you can't put a price on. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 96 96. On Court's 96 FM. Yeah, breaking story. The Examiner have it. Owen English is reporting on their website that on board Planola has gone for an oral hearing into the plans for apartments on the land at Besborough, the land occupied by the former mother and baby home. Remember, we've been following that story. There are two different applications to build apartments on that ground and part of it uh, would encroach on the place we believe to be the formal burial ground of children, according to the historic maps. We don't need to revisit the story, but... 
that planning application will now be subject to uh, an oral hearing by on board Planola. I know a lot of people will certainly welcome that. More on our 96FM news bulletins throughout the day. Uh, I must keep the last two on the bucket list uh, from the UK. The, the stuff, and these are the things that COVID can never take from us and we should grasp them with all our all our might. Also, uh, John Campbell, we will co- podcast extra, Dr. John Campbell. A lot of responses to him. Didn't get to read them, um, but Patrick says, big thank you to John. Been listening to him for over a year now. His work has been vital uh, in the efforts to slow the spread of conspiracies and other such nonsense. A great interview with Dr. Campbell. People should also know about Merck's antiviral drug. I'm sure if it's out there, John will do it. Uh, Plenty more uh, interest in that. We've posted that as a podcast extra and we will also share, we have also shared his YouTube stream. Uh, Tom was a passionate speaker on what was close to his heart and a joy to listen to. May he rest in peace. And that's from another old stager on the show, uh, John O'Dea. Thanks, John. 1850 Before we go, I only ever did tubing once, and I don't think I've ever been forgiven for it. The Queen Bee was most embarrassed when I insisted on going tubing. It's not all that many years ago either. We're going to be doing it in Cork. Jeff Witcherly, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good, good, good. You're going to set up a tubing park at Smuggler's Cove in Ross Carberry. Yeah, we sure are. Um, to be honest, we have the groundworks completed since before uh, the winter set in, and they, they settled lovely over the winter. So we're looking forward to doing our final fit-out in the next uh, four weeks. Uh, we're just waiting for uh, restrictions to lift on construction and uh, we'll be straight into it once that happens. For, for anyone who's not done this crazy thing before it's great fun, what is it? Yeah, it's massive fun um, so you, you're basically sitting in a, a round tube um, with a hard bottom on it, you will be uh, racing down hills on it uh, tracks, there's four different gradients four different uh, slopes uh, one of them uh, the tubby jump will be down into a kicker, up into the air, and landing into a giant, an absolute giant uh, freestyle ski bag uh, at the end of it. Wow. So it is massive fun. <laughs> there's no water involved in this one, no? No, no, there's no water involved. I think everybody kind of thinks maybe it's a bit like a, a slide in a water park, but there's no water involved. It's all about reducing friction uh, between the tube and the artificial ski surface material, and that's where you get your speed from. You, you can do it in your normal day clothes, your shoes on, everything like that. And it's, it's for everybody, all ages of the family, uh, young to, to teenagers, to, the, to parents. Everybody's looking forward to it. It's, it's a forest, I think. Yes, it's for the forest in anyway. Ireland. Yeah, it's the forest in Ireland. Uh, there obviously would be um, one or two ski slopes uh, around Ireland already, but this would be the first dedicated uh, tubing park. Now, there's a good few of them in Europe, but this is the first one in Ireland. So, yeah, and... We've kind of taken a big leap. We've gone for quite a big park, four runs. Uh, a lot. There's a lot to do in it. it. It'll be great fun. Yeah, Smugglers Cove. You're going a while now, aren't you? Yeah, well, I suppose my parents set up um, a golf range in Ross Carberry nearly 30 years ago now. Um, oh. So, but in 2012, I kind of set up a, an adventure golf course, uh, and that was kind of the, the, the real start of where Smugglers Cove came from. We have a timber maze. We have a, a giant outdoor corn maze. We have a cafe. We have a golf range. Mm. And now we're adding the 
no, we're adding the, the tubing part to it, which we're really looking forward to. How important is it that we get this thing under control, Jeff, and get back to doing stuff like this? Yeah, look, PJ, I, I think everybody needs a break. Uh, we People have been excellent, I think, over the last over the last year now at this stage. Um, we saw last summer we had beautiful weather. We, we, we had massive staycations. It was brilliant for the area. It's it's really really important, I think, for everybody. Um, look, what we provide in, in in Smugglers Cove and actually a lot of the activities in Ross Carberry are all outdoor. Um, it's great fun, and being honest, I think people just want to have a bit of a laugh. That's, That's what they really want. Well, they'll certainly do that uh, when they get a chance to go tubing. And I will see you. Much to the embarrassment of the Queen Bee, I will see you as soon as I can. Thank you so much, Jeff Witcherly from Smugglers Cove in Ross Carberry, opening a tubing park. You're going to love it, lads. You love it, right? A few more uh, little bucket listers before. Oh yeah, people. Say, What's he saying about the weather? Paul says when you mentioned earlier that the weather was improving. Where was that exactly? So far here in Castle Donovan near League, lovely place. We've had snow and hail and showers and biting wind and rain and a bit of sunshine. It can't make up its mind. Megan says it was snowing in Cove a few minutes ago. Hailstones in Middleton. And while we're at it, while you're at it, please compliment Middleton Community Hospital on their excellent work through COVID. On the bucket list, Eugene says to do one of your podcasts with you on the dawn or evening bird chorus. There's a thought. There's loads more. It's been a big success. The two most popular things in the survey they did in the UK, and I said this, that COVID can't take any of this from you. What is it people most want to do? They want to look at a blue sky and they want to enjoy the longer days and the sunny evenings. No one can take that from you. No COVID can take that. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.